a Lifetime original podcast. This episode covers topics that include murder and violence. Listener discretion is advised. On January 6th, 2013, Dave Krupa gets a disturbing email from an ex. It's an email unlike any he's ever received. A few months earlier, he'd been seeing a woman named Carrie Farver. Their relationship was only ever casual, but in late November, things took a turn. Carrie started sending Dave threatening messages. His phone was blowing up. Even his work was getting calls nonstop. And after months of harassment, it started to take over his life. But up until this point, it had only been verbal. When he opens his latest email, he finds a picture of another woman he'd been seeing, Liz Gallier. She's tied up and gagged in the trunk of a car. The message reads, You will do exactly as I say. You will dump Liz and you will start seeing me again. She demands that he call Liz and leave a voicemail breaking up with her immediately. Or else. It ends tick-tock. In the months that follow, the threats get bigger. The stakes get higher. The terror escalates and even the police can't find the woman behind it all. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Dave Krupa isn't the most confident guy when it comes to the dating game. He's not exactly sweeping the ladies off their feet. Well, okay, I wouldn't go that far. He's got some game. I mean, he already has two kids with his ex-girlfriend, Amy. Um, But like most men I've met, Dave just, you know, he's not really sure what he wants. At this point, all he knows is that he doesn't want a commitment. So he ends up creating a profile on the popular early 2000s dating website, Plenty of Fish, which Carrie pointed out to me is a Christian app. And immediately he matches with Liz Gallier and they start dating. They're around the same age. They both live near Omaha and they both have young kids. So this seems like, I don't know, pretty good match. A match made in heaven if it's a Christian dating app. But once things start to escalate into a more physical relationship, he makes it clear that he's really not ready for anything, you know, serious. He wants to keep things casual. Again, this guy doesn't know what he wants. So he's like, I don't really want to make a commitment. Let's just keep this casual. Let's not be exclusive. And Liz is seemingly on board with that. I mean, she's busy with her cats. She has kids of her own. She has a housekeeping business. If Dave is looking for casual, romanceless Midwestern sex, Liz is totally game. At first. Yeah, sounds great to me. But a few weeks in, Dave starts to notice that Liz is getting, well, clingy. She gets jealous anytime he spends time with his kids or his ex, and she's always, 
always asking him about his day, checking up on him. Dave is not here for it. He tells her he is seeing and doing other people and that Liz should too. What he's not telling her is that he's just not that into her. I mean, well, he likes having sex with her, so I guess he's kind of into being into her. Anyway, he just doesn't like talking to her, right? Like, not that that's a big deal per se, but he, he, he okay, he, he says this thing and it's, okay, I'm just going to say it and you make up your own mind. He doesn't think she's that like well-read enough to carry on a conversation with him. And his big complaint is like, she doesn't even watch the news. I mean, even if he's looking for commitment, she's not the person he would ever commit to, if that makes sense. Right. But she does keep showing up in his life, whether he wants her to or not. She pops in at his apartment all the time, making lots of unannounced visits. She interrupts dates he's on with texts and calls. And she's always asking him, can you come over to my place and fix this and fix that? Because you're, you know, such a big, strong, handyman. But despite all of the red flags and all of his reservations, he just can't quit her. He keeps having sex with her because he is predictable. He is a man. But he does that thing where he keeps like being like, hey, I'm not that serious. Like just checking in, like you should play the field. You should go on a date. You know, doing that thing where he's like trying to make it easier for her just so that he'll have permission so that he can do whatever he wants. You know, but Liz, Liz keeps coming on to him harder and harder and harder, you know, and just and just from one single gal to another, you know, the harder you hold on, the more they want to just run away. But she just can't let go. She's really into him. But since he's not that into her, they're pretty, they're on and off. You know, Liz would try to convince Dave to try to have a relationship. Dave would shoot her down. They have a fight. They separate. And then a few weeks later, Liz invites Dave over to, uh, uh, you know, fix her windows or her sink. One thing will lead to another. And they just keep going at it this way for months, all through the summer, all through the fall in 2012. Until... Dave finally meets someone who sparks more than just lust. Dave is a mechanic at this little shop in Omaha, Nebraska. And if you Google image just the word mechanic, you will get a smiling, cute blonde guy in blue coveralls. (laughs) Trust me, I did this. I have got all the time in the world, apparently. And at least in the lifetime depiction, (laughs) that is what Dave looks like. He delivers on this. He's a man in uniform. He's got a name tag. And, you know, that's pretty, uh, I don't know, alluring if you're into that sort of thing. But I'm not. I I prefer my men unemployed. And you know what, Quinn? Me too. I think that's actually why we're friends. I think, well, that we like men that are unemployed and true crime. And one day he's at work and... This woman rolls up and she's in a Ford Explorer and she's having some, you know, car trouble. I'm like imagining damsel in distress vibes. And he is immediately struck by her. So she's like leaning over the engine with him as he explains what could be wrong. And they lock eyes and he's really enamored at the fact that he gets to explain something to her that she might not know. But they both feel this like spark. But then they realize that's the car battery, and then they were like, oh, no, I'm actually attracted to this person. (laughs) Her name is Carrie Farver, and she's a computer programmer and a mother of one. She's around the same age as Dave, and when she leaves that day, he can't help but think about her. He wants to ask her out, but he doesn't have the guts. It's a meet-cute, maybe like without so much cute 
It's really, it's just a meet. <laughs> and, and a few weeks later, though, just by complete coincidence, Dave is like scrolling on that Plenty of Fish app and boom, her profile pops up. It's fate. So he decides it's time to shoot his shot. So on November 1st, they go on their very first date and it is a romantic one, folks. They go to Applebee's. I mean, obviously, the ideal mm. first date situation. Imagine you got potato skins, you got mozzarella sticks, watered down margs. Sure. I mean, come on. If that's not the foundation for a real romantic relationship, I don't know what is. And he keeps her laughing. She's laughing all night. Either he's really funny or uh, Carrie's really generous. Who knows? Despite rumors, I was not there. Okay, listen. Okay, maybe Carrie and I have also read the same article where to get a guy to like you, you just have to laugh at all his jokes. Did you know that, Quinn? <laughs> that that's, that's like how you get a guy? I, I also read that Cosmo. <laughs> really formative article that has seriously failed me. But here we are. It's a perfect first date and things get hot and heavy. They go back to Dave's Mm -hmm. apartment, but before things can go too far, Carrie pulls back. You know, she's not going to get involved with Dave without making things clear. She lets him know she is not looking for love. She just wants to keep things casual. And that's exactly what Dave hopes to hear. It is music to his ears, baby. Not only is Carrie beautiful, <laughs> smart, successful, she's DTF. She's all the ding-dang-dong things. And just as, like, the gear shifts from maybe first to second to third, he's a mechanic, folks, we're going to make those jokes, Dave's doorbell rings. And it's Liz. Can we say cock block? She just, you know, is there to just grab a few things from his apartment at literally the worst time ever. So Carrie hears Liz over the intercom, and this is the first date she has with this guy, and she's like, okay, I got to cut and run. This is a lot. I'm going to get out of here. You know, three's a crowd, and it's time to call it a night. So Dave tells Carrie goodnight and walks her downstairs, and Liz is there just waiting at the door. Carrie and Liz exchange like a very brief glance. It's pretty casual. Carrie leaves, drives away. And Liz is distraught. Uh, When Dave brings her up to his apartment, she's not having it. He thought she just wanted to get her stuff, but now, of course, she wants to have a talk. And Dave is just, he's over it. He just wants her to get the stuff and beat it. So Dave escorts Liz out as quickly as he can, and he immediately calls Carrie to apologize. He's totally embarrassed by this whole situation. I mean, wouldn't you be too? But to his surprise, Carrie is like, okay with it. She's like pretty chill. Um, She actually invites him over to her place, and she lives about 40 minutes away. So that's a a long drive in my opinion, but not for sex in the car. No, no, no. 40 minutes? Hello. I mean, for pizza, you wouldn't wait that long. For sex, you'd run. Okay. So he hops in his car and he beelines over to Carrie's apartment. Carrie's not going to let, you know, a woman like Liz get in her way of Dave Krupa. The next week, Carrie and Dave continue growing closer. You know, I guess Dave thinks he can really talk about the news with her. Just what he's looking for. (laughs) Oh, my God. They go on more dates. (laughs) (laughs) And 
you know, Dave's bachelor pad looks like a bachelor pad. So Carrie's trying to help him find new furniture. And Dave comes over to her place to fix up her son's used Volkswagen so he can learn how to drive on it. Okay, this does not sound casual, right? It feels way more romantic, like furniture shopping. I think the thing about furniture shopping is if you're shopping for furniture, it's implying that you're going to be sitting on it or using it at some point. That's just my thought on the whole thing. But maybe Dave has just found the person he wants to commit to. But at the same time, Liz and Dave are still having flings because, you know, Liz's engine needs a tune-up too, if you know what I mean. And if you don't know what I mean, vroom, vroom. I'm talking about sex. Intercourse. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Carrie fully knows that Dave is still seeing Liz, but it also seems like their situation is starting to change. It's November 12th, and Carrie is spending the night at Dave's place because she has a work presentation the next day, and Dave's apartment is actually closer to her office. So it's like a win-win-win. You know, they get to have sex, and then she gets to have her commute time back so she can tighten up her slideshow. And then the third one is actually for the earth because it's less gas on her commute. So it's a win-win-win. A win. We love a triple win. I don't think Dave thinks that this is a relationship move on her part. It really just seems like the right thing to do. But when he goes to work the next morning, suddenly he realizes Carrie might have actually had other ideas. A few hours after he left his apartment, Dave gets a text from Carrie. The text is something like she wants to move in with him. But Dave is confused. You know, he's been pretty clear he wants to keep this casual. And he thought Carrie felt the same. So he responds, you know, it's too soon. He's not ready for that. Carrie shoots back this text that says, fine, F you. I'm seeing somebody else. Don't contact me again. I hate you. Go away. And then she unfriends him on Facebook, the (gasps) truest marker of the end of a relationship. Wow, you know, we could end this story here. I mean, that is a final ending. But all of this comes as a total shock to Dave. You know, they have dinner plans that night. And now I guess those are canceled since, you know, of course, they're no longer Facebook friends. But, you know, Dave probably at this point is like, why did I let her spend the night? This had to be really confusing for him. He can't help but wonder if he'd missed some red flags or some warning signs. It's just really uncharacteristic of the Carrie that he knew. But, you know, he also only knew her for two weeks at that point. So he figures, I guess I just dodged a bullet. That's the exact thing I am trying to avoid in relationships. Yeah, but like as if he wasn't afraid of commitments before. Now, after this, it's got to be way worse. So you'd think after that text, you know, the one that said, fine, F you, I'm seeing somebody else. Don't contact me again. I hate you. Go away. Maybe that would be the last Dave heard from Carrie. No, 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 no. I'm here to tell you that is not the case. Texts and calls start rolling in. And at this point, it's more than anger. It's obsession by Calvin Klein. It seems like she will do anything to keep his attention, no matter how much he tries to ignore her. He has to change his phone number several times to try to stop getting these constant messages and calls. But Carrie calls his work too. She will not let up and there's nothing Dave can do to stop her. And because of all of this drama, he turns to his old uh, little amigo, Liz, for support. He tells Liz about what's been going on with Carrie, and she's eager to listen and to lend a friendly ear. 
and she's honestly just happy to have Dave back. But this will come at a price. In early January 2013, Dave gets an email from Carrie. He's pretty numb at this point to her harassment, but this message really raises his eyebrows. It's just, it's a full-on threat. You will do exactly as I say. You will dump Liz and you will start seeing me again. She tells him he needs to call Liz and break up with her in a voicemail. Do it or goodbye to her, she writes. And attached to this email is also a photo of a woman tied up in the trunk of a car. And in the photo, the woman looks very much like Liz. It ends with tick-tock. And as shocking as all of this is, Dave, I think, is so numb to these threats that he just, he doesn't even respond. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't bite said bait. He's not even sure if the woman in the photo is, in fact, Liz. So the way he addresses it is he just sends Liz a text asking if she's all right, which I got to tell you, this this isn't a good look for Dave. You know, he gets like a threatening text and there's like maybe a woman tied up who probably wouldn't have access to a phone or text and he just decides to text her and then he goes to sleep. Weird. Chivalry is dead, folks. Yeah. I mean, Liz could be in the trunk of a car, but there's just no substitution for a good night's rest. So the next morning he wakes up to a text from Liz. So just to clarify, he does finally get a response from Liz, but his phone isn't even on loud, so he can't hear it until he wakes up. So he gets a he he wakes up to a text from Liz asking why he texted her, you know, so late, and he just tells her that the quote psycho was playing games. You know, at this point Liz is safe. She's not tied up in the back of a car, so he can just move on with his life. And two days later, Dave finds Carrie's Ford Explorer parked near his apartment. But it's clear that the car hasn't moved in a really long time. It's covered in snow. He's worried. Maybe Carrie's moved into his complex. Could she be stalking him from that close by? He reports it to the police, and they tow the car away. Meanwhile, Liz doesn't seem to be at all worried about what's going on with Carrie and her possible endangerment, she takes this opportunity to get even closer with Dave, you know, developing more of a bond and a connection. But now Liz is in the orbit of a stalker. Dave is not the only one who's noticed a change in Carrie's behavior over the past several months. Carrie's mom, Nancy, has been worried sick about her daughter. Ever since Carrie left to stay with Dave that night, she hasn't seen her. Not doesn't feel good. And Nancy is just worried that Carrie's going through a serious mental health episode. You know, she and her daughter are very, very close. And she knows that Carrie has struggled with bipolar disorder. And, you know, there's, there is a history to her disappearing. She has disappeared once before, but that was briefly. And that was a while ago. There's no reason to believe that this would happen right now. And in this case, it's much more extreme. Carrie has been sending her texts saying she's quitting her job, she's moving to Kansas, all really big life things that are communicated via text, which is just very strange. Nancy is obviously desperate to talk to Carrie in person and try to help her through whatever she's going through, but Carrie refuses to meet with her. She insists that what she's going through, she needs to go through it on her own. 
And Nancy has no choice but to respect her wishes. And after several months of no contact, Nancy just starts to get more and more and more concerned. Because not only has Carrie just fallen off the face of the earth with her mother, she's also missed major family moments. Carrie didn't show up to her half-brother's wedding. She misses her son's 15th birthday. She even misses her father's own funeral. So even though she continues to receive texts from Carrie, Nancy knows something's really wrong. She goes to the Iowa police to report Carrie as a missing person. But while they're searching for her in Iowa, just across state lines in Omaha, Nebraska, Carrie is in a digital war against Dave and Liz. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dave is becoming more and more worried for Liz's safety. He's not sure she understood what she was getting into by wanting to be with him, but now it's becoming more clear what she can expect if she stays with him. Yeah, it's getting worse. Liz is getting harassing calls and texts from Carrie every day. She calls her fat, ugly, stupid, a whore. She tells her to stay away from Dave, and Liz confronts Dave about it. How did Carrie even get her number, she wants to know. And then one morning, Liz walks outside of her house, and she finds that her garage has been vandalized. Written right across her garage door are the words, Whore from Dave. It's spray-painted on there. And later, she finds her car keyed with the words, Whore, stop seeing Dave. Despite all of this, Liz is undeterred. She wants to be with Dave. She doesn't let the threats intimidate her, and Dave is really impressed that she keeps sticking with him through this. He starts to see her every Wednesday night. Wow. That's, if that's not commitment, I don't know what is. They bond over their situation, and they do become closer. But you know what that means? The closer they get, ooh, it's not going to be good for Liz because... Things take another dark turn when Dave gets another ominous email from Carrie. And attached to this message is a picture of Liz's two kids through the window of Liz's house. Ooh, this is a line crossed. Above it, Carrie writes, These are the ugliest kids, just like their whore mom. They should die with their whore mom so I don't have to see their ugliness anymore. No one wants her and her bratty kids around. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. 
And Liz is rightfully concerned and scared. I mean, her kids, her kids could be in danger. Carrie must have been right outside of her house to take that picture. And Dave is just feeling worse and worse. He's incredibly guilty that he's brought this crazy woman to Liz's life um, and that Liz is tied up in this mess. And no matter how much she wants to be with him, is it really worth it? Over the next few months, Dave starts to separate himself from Liz again, just seeing her less and less. He tries to meet new dates, who Carrie doesn't know about, but she keeps popping up in his life. In May of 2013, there's a woman named Jessica on Plenty of Fish, our favorite Christian dating site, and Jessica matches with Dave. And they seem to start to get along pretty well, so they become Facebook friends, which is the next step after chatting on a dating website. But soon after this, Jessica sends him a message asking if Dave knows someone by the name of hmm, C. Farver and that she's been getting these weird, threatening messages from a Facebook account with that name. And Dave tells her he's been stalked by a woman that he dated several months ago and that nothing she tells Jessica is true. But Jessica is getting bombarded. She's getting messages threatening her life and the lives of her children. She even gets a message listing her home address. And I gotta give props to Jessica because she sees that red flag and she's like, nope, and she cuts and runs. And as soon as she unfriends Dave on Facebook, Carrie's messages just stop. This same story repeats itself over and over and over again with every single woman that Dave meets. No matter what he does, Carrie finds out about them. And not only that, but Carrie also catfishes Dave just to waste his time. Six women he ends up meeting online, he sets up dates with, their no-shows, and then he gets a cryptic text from Carrie saying something like, gotcha. She's making sure Dave can never move on. Listen, listen, there are plenty of fish on plenty of fish, and that unfortunately includes some catfish. The only women who are willing to stay in his life at this point are Amy, the mother of his children, and also Liz. She hasn't left his side through any of this, but all of their lives are about to be made even more complicated. In August of 2013, Dave gets a frantic call from Liz. She is freaking out, screaming, crying. She shouts into the phone, my house is on fire. And her home is engulfed in flames. Her two dogs, her cat, and her pet snake are killed. It is very, very lucky that her kids are not home at the time. Liz talks to the police and they tell her that they believe that the fire was set intentionally. They ask her, you know, is there anyone who would do something like this to you? Liz can think of one person, Carrie Farver. She tells the cops about the months of harassment and the pictures of her kids and the threats. Carrie just won't leave her alone. And the cops are eager to get any and all information from Liz. And they want to see her text messages, her phone calls. So they ask her if they could get a copy of her phone for their investigation. And she totally agrees. Threats are one thing, but this house fire is completely different. Dave is so freaked out that he goes and buys a gun to protect himself because his apartment could be next. 
The same pattern of harassment plagues Dave and Liz for two and a half years. And Liz is still there. Wow. Props to Liz. She can commit even when the guy can't. I mean, even Dave's ex, the mother of his children, Amy, is getting threats from Carrie. And for the longest time, the police couldn't do anything about it. But in August of 2015, Detective Dottie and Detective Avis from the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Department decide to start a children's TV show. I'm kidding. They don't. But come on. (gasps) Those names, Detective Dottie and Detective Avis, that's cute. (laughs) But they do decide to take on this case. And it's actually, it's multiple cases, really. There are all the accusations of harassment and vandalism, but there's also a missing persons case. Back in Macedonia, Iowa, Carrie's mother, Nancy, and her son, Max, are still being plagued by these mysterious messages from their mother and daughter. Carrie's now been gone for more than two years, and the only mode of communication that she's used is text message. But by now, Nancy's gut is telling her, this is not Carrie. This is not my daughter. This is absolutely something more, something worse. She is certain that her daughter is not sending these messages, that it is someone impersonating her. Carrie's son, Max, has the same feeling, and he sends a Facebook message to his mom asking her, what's my middle name? What was our first boxer's name? Who is my childhood best friend? Just really easy questions that his mom would know the answer to, but he doesn't get a response. He doesn't want to believe that his mom is gone, but Nancy, Carrie's mother, is certain of it. She believes that her daughter is dead and the person impersonating her is the person who did it, is responsible. Detective Dottie and Avis can't confirm it, but they suspect the same thing. Carrie's bank statement hasn't changed since November of 2012 when she first blew up at Dave. Nobody has seen her. They've only ever received text messages and emails. And I have to say, this is also including the 15,000 emails that were sent to just Dave alone in the past two and a half years. That's a lot of emails. And that, this is, that's absolutely nuts. I did the math slowly and deliberately, folks, with a calculator, and that is... 16 or 17 emails a day. And that doesn't include all the texts or all the other people Carrie's contacting, which would make it twice as many, at least. Do you think Dave slept through every email notification? (laughs) My bets are yes. I I bet he turned those notifications off quick. No more buzzing, no more beeping, none of that. So the detectives decide to bring on a forensic digital expert named Anthony Cava to look into the messages. And what really surprises them is how frequently Liz's name is popping up in the search. Carrie's messages obsess over Liz, even though they've never even really met, other than that moment that they crossed paths at Dave's apartment in 2012. And as it turns out, the police have a download of Liz's messages and calls from 2013 when they were investigating the arson at her house. So the digital experts start to examine that file as well. On the phone, they find a record of six calls made from Liz 
to Carrie's home phone a week before she disappeared. They also find a picture of Liz tied up in the trunk of a car, the same picture that got sent to Dave as a threat. Only this picture wasn't sent to Liz's phone. It was taken with Liz's phone. In December of 2015, Liz shows up at the police department to talk to the detectives. She thinks um, she has information that might help their investigation of Carrie. And she tells them that for the longest time, she's been convinced that Carrie was the one harassing her. But now, she thinks that Dave's ex, Amy, might be the real stalker. And Detective Avis is all too eager to talk to Liz. He pretends to be sympathetic to her story and asks her to repeat everything so that he can jot it down. Liz tells him it just doesn't make sense that a woman who knew Dave for only two weeks would harass him for nearly three years, you know? And so who else could it be? Huh, Amy. Amy would make way more sense as the perpetrator and the stalker and the person trying to destroy Dave's life. She also tells Avis that Dave's gun has recently gone missing, and only Amy and her kids could have had access to it. She's worried what Amy might do, since it's probable she was the one threatening Liz this whole time. And the detectives are very sympathetic. They have an open ear and an open heart, and they're taking all of this in. And Liz is just very eager to file her harassment claim against Amy. She even hands over her phone with all of the threatening messages on it. Detective Avis can't believe his luck. He tells Liz that the best way for her to help would be if she lets them download all the contents of her phone. She agrees. He has her sign a consent form so that they can look into anything they want. The very next day, 911 is called and an ambulance is dispatched to Big Lake Park in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Liz Gallier has been shot. As she tells it, on a very snowy evening, Liz decided to go on a walk and she sat down on a park bench to think when suddenly... She sees a shadowy figure approaching her and a voice yelling at her, get on the ground. And then they shoot her in the leg. She's able to run away and call for help before the shooter can finish her off. And she tells the police that she recognized her assailant. You won't believe who it is. Amy. Amy, the baby mama. Police rush to Amy's house, guns blazing. They bang on her door and yell, open up, police! Amy opens the door and the cops have their guns drawn and they are pointed in her face. She immediately just drops what she's doing. What? What's going on? Why are you here? They tell her that Liz has been shot and she says that you did it. Amy is terrified. She bursts into tears. She has no clue what they're talking about. And after a moment of the police standing there with their guns drawn, which feels not great protocol... They begin to realize that there's just no way that Amy could have done this. The neighbors say she's been home the whole time, she has an alibi, she has witnesses, and the hood of her car is cold, like it hasn't run in the last hour. It doesn't take long for investigators to eliminate Amy as a suspect, but it does leave them wondering, if not her, then who? Who? 
After downloading the contents of Liz's phone and handing it over to their digital expert, Anthony, detectives Dottie and Avis are finally starting to piece together exactly what's been going on over the last three years. Liz's phone records show that she downloaded an app that allows her to send messages as if they're coming from another person's number. She can even schedule them ahead of time. So she could make it look to everybody like they're all just hanging out and all of a sudden a text comes in and she's being harassed by someone else, when in reality, she's the one organizing, writing, and sending these messages to herself. They believe that soon after Dave left his apartment the morning that Carrie was staying with him, in November of 2012, Liz attacked and killed Carrie. They found Liz's fingerprint in Carrie's car. She's the one behind the stalking. And for years, she's been sending harassing messages so that she could keep Dave close to her. So it's like she would make herself the victim so that she could go and get comforted by Dave and their relationship would get stronger. She could always bring him to her side with the guilt that he'd caused for making all of this happen to her. I mean, think about this. She also is the one that set her own house on fire. She killed her own pets just to further the lie. You wonder if that week he was finally, like, taking some distance and pulling away, and the desperation was just like, now what do I have to do to get you back? Burn the house down. But eventually, this ploy did start to lose its power. Even with moves like that, Dave lost interest in her and became closer to Amy. Really, he he did just want to protect Amy and his kids from the threats they're receiving. But Liz is getting very jealous and trying to convince Dave that Amy is behind it all. It feels a little risky to just keep killing the competition, so why not try to get Amy a different way by putting her behind bars, accusing her of this shooting? That's perfect. Of course, that means she has to shoot herself. Who would do that? Someone willing to set fire to a snake, I guess. That's who. I mean, listen, it's quite a story. And even though the police have a lot of evidence from Liz's phone to back up some of it, they still don't have enough proof that Liz killed Carrie or shot herself. So they have to keep playing like they're on Liz's side in order to gain her trust and get as much information from her as they can to build their case so they can finally bring her to justice. After Liz gets out of the hospital, Detective Dottie and Avis tell her that they believe her story about Amy. They just don't have the evidence to prove it. But, they say, they think they found remains of Carrie Farver. And if Amy was crazy enough to shoot Liz, maybe she was crazy enough to kill Carrie too. If Liz can help in any way, maybe what she could do is just bait Amy to tell her more and then... Eventually, they might be able to put Amy behind bars. And to help Liz into making a mistake that they can catch her on, they enlist Dave's help to turn up the heat on her. They tell him of their theory, and, I mean, Dave can't even believe it. I mean, that is an insanely shocking theory to get. Anyway... This whole time, he's been playing into his own stalker's hands. All of the suffering, the fear, the guilt he's gone through were all part of a sick game to keep him by Liz's side. The detectives ask him to convince Liz that he's going to get back together with Amy. 
They believe that the more desperate Liz is, the more likely she is to do something stupid, like set a snake on fire. Dave agrees. He moves in with Amy, not only to help the detectives, but he also does want to protect his family. If Liz is willing to kill, who knows who could be next? It could be his kids. And listen, I guess it all worked out because four days later, the detectives get exactly what they're looking for. The detectives receive an email from Liz. She's forwarded them a message she claims is from Amy. And Amy confesses to shooting Liz and threatens to shoot her again. It's so beyond obviously fake. No one would commit a crime and then let their intended victim know via a written confession. I mean, it makes no sense. They all know it's Liz. And because Liz has been just so brazen, Detective Dottie... It's like, let's take a chance, and pushes Liz even further. Tells her, you know, what we really need is Amy to confess to the murder of Carrie Farver. And you know what? Wouldn't you know it? That is exactly the email that pops up next. I mean, listen, they do say ask and you shall receive, but this was a pretty quick turnaround. It was like she couldn't even wait to go to the – she was like typing it. She's like, yeah, 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 you need it. Okay, cool, 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 cool. And walking away, she's typing it to her car. Liz forwards them another email, again, allegedly from Amy, in which she describes how she killed Carrie in her own car. She stabbed her in the stomach and then burned her body and stuffed her in a garbage can. Ugh. Terrible. The detectives take this as a confession, because likely this is what happened, only it was Liz that was doing the stabbing. They return to Carrie's car now to look for blood, and forensic investigators find a hidden blood stain underneath the driver's seat, and it matches Carrie's DNA. With their new evidence, police are able to get a search warrant for Liz's house, where they find electronics that belong to Carrie and several phones which have been used to contact Carrie's family. And then when they return to their digital forensic investigator, they get evidence that will for sure put Liz away. In a trove of deleted images on Liz's phone, they find a picture of Carrie's decomposing foot. It's identifiable by a tattoo of the Chinese symbol for mother. Because, lest you forget, before Carrie was senselessly murdered, that's what she was. Finally, with all the evidence that they have in their hands, they can finally arrest Liz Gallier. They arrest her, and Liz Gallier is charged for the murder of Carrie Farver. She's brought to trial for first-degree murder and second-degree arson. And would you know it? She denies everything. Of course she does. And she pleads not guilty. Her defense attorney decides to forego a jury trial, instead leaving the decision in the hands of a judge. He knows that the emotional manipulation of Carrie's family and friends would play really terribly with a jury, but a judge has to examine evidence without emotion. So Liz and her lawyers try to claim that because Carrie's body has not been found, that there's no proof that she's actually dead. But it's impossible for them to deny her disappearance or the years that Liz posed as Carrie online, or the fact that Liz had all of Carrie's electronics at her home, not to mention the picture of Carrie's foot found on Liz's phone. The defense doesn't have any witnesses to call. Nobody will testify for Liz. She may be on plenty of fish, but she does not have plenty of friends. She has none. Contrary to this, all of Carrie's friends show up. And her family. 
Amy testifies and Dave testifies too. And when Dave testifies, this is actually the only time in the trial that Liz has any sort of emotional reaction. When Dave walks to the stand, she just stares at him, eyes glued, like she still longs for him. All of the things that she's done over the last three plus years, she's done for him, to be with him. I mean, he can't be that hot. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't imagine a guy being worth that ever. Maybe she really loves a man in uniform. I don't know. I don't know. On May 24th, 2016, Liz Gallier is found guilty. She's sentenced to life in prison for the murder, plus 18 to 20 years for the arson. Four years after Carrie first disappeared, her killer is finally brought to justice. Liz is currently serving her sentence at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women with no possibility for parole. Carrie's body has never been found. This all just strikes me as more than wanting Dave. Look, this wins for most obvious statement of the century, but something is so wrong with Liz. She was spending what detectives estimate to be around 40 to 50 hours a week impersonating Carrie. And might I add, unpaid. This is like the worst internship ever, and she gave it to herself. It's just so crazy to go through her texts knowing it was Liz. Like, like she calls her own kids ugly and bratty and threatens her own children's lives for this guy. I mean, she's clearly incredibly unwell. Yeah, there's these long back and forth between Carrie and Liz. And you look at them and go, so you were just at home texting yourself. And I think what's even more troubling are the texts that Carrie's family receives from Carrie. Right. To text Carrie's son knowing that you burnt her body and write to him that you're going to come back. I mean, it's it's monstrous. But that doesn't really explain the full-time job that was playing Carrie. We, we, we didn't get into that. Liz was on her computer or phone all day. One of the victims of her deceit is actually a man named Garrett that she lived with during much of our story, a man who thought he was her boyfriend and was paying a bunch of her bills. I will say what comes to my mind right now is that for those 40 to 50 hours she could have been working, she could have been, I don't know, watching the news, you know, maybe maybe that would have, <laughs> maybe she wouldn't have to do all of this stuff for a day. Maybe if she just watched the freaking news instead of <sighs> texting him, maybe he would have come around. I don't know. Sounds like she's not a great person anyway, so it was going to fail anyway, doomed to fail. But it's like she didn't she wasn't smart, she wasn't she wasn't that bright, she wasn't watching the news, but my god, that woman knew tech. She was quite savvy. She got away with this for a long time. Longer than you might even realize in the sense that this was not Liz's first rodeo in terms of lies, betrayal and trying to impersonate or frame people for her mistakes. We really didn't have time to go into her whole backstory. Um, As our listeners know, she did have children with another man, not Dave. um, And I'm sure it's no surprise that when that man found love elsewhere, she was not having that on any level and basically single white female to his new partner, getting a matching hairdo, matching car, going to school for the same thing, using her name in some instances. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on this podcast, and I'd say that Anytime things were not going Liz's way, she tried to just become someone she'd rather be. 
another moment that really jumped out for me was that Amy and a pal of hers were on to Liz almost from the very beginning. They were suspicious that she could be the one behind the text, and they talked about it and then went, oh, no, it couldn't be, you know, they thought better of it. It's just too over the top. It's too ridiculous, and that they probably only even contemplated it because they watched too many Lifetime movies. Which is a really incredible segue to our next point and our final point, which is, speaking of Lifetime movies, if you liked this story and want to see the Lifetime movie version of it, Quinn and I actually got to watch the screener, and it is such a treat. It is called The Disappearance of Carrie Farver, and it airs on Lifetime on October 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So please, go check it out. Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime. And stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it just might be the case we talk about next. We used many sources in our research for today's episode. Among the most helpful were the book A Tangled Web, A Cyberstalker, A Deadly Obsession, and The Twisting Path to Justice by Leslie Rule. That book was also the basis for the Lifetime original movie, The Disappearance of Carrie Farver, which, as Carrie said, airs on Lifetime on October 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We highly recommend you check it out. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us, Quinlan Posner, and Carrie Ipema. Our sound designer and editor is Hans Dale Shee. Our senior producer is John Thrasher. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer, and Jesse Katz is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.